All right. So obviously I'm not Pastor Bruzik, um, but we're going to see what I can do here. So uh, let us begin with prayer. Lord God, everlasting Father, you give all good gifts. Let your Holy Spirit dwell with us as we study your word. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. I'm going to pass around the attendant sheet. Thankfully, I remembered we have an attendant sheet. I normally don't do that. Um, I'm going to pass that around. And also, uh, for our offerings today, uh, People's Resource Center is where uh, the money will be going. So throw a few dollars in there um, and do a little bit of good. So, last week, Pastor Bruzik told me that we had gotten through, for the most part, 1 John. So I want to get a little running start here from 1 John 1 to 1 John 2. Because really, there's one thing that most people don't realize, there's a running theme going on. So if you, if you have a handout, anybody need a handout? A couple up here. Handout will help take you through a little bit of where I'm going. But from 1 John, we heard the words, in the beginning, that which we had heard from the beginning. Of course, that relates to Genesis 1.1. But what other people, why they get that, notice that we have light and darkness, corresponding to Genesis 1.3, darkness, Genesis 1.4. The separation of light and darkness occurs in the same chapter. You got Genesis 1.4, which talks about God separating night and day, and he keeps them separate. He never intermingles them. Notice we also have fellowship. We, talk about, we talked about fellowship last week, and I think Pastor Bruzik, remind me, I think he talked about it in context of the Holy Trinity, right? That we see in the very beginning, we see the Spirit hovering over the waters, God speaking, and then later on we're going to hear, let us create man, let us create man in our own image. And of course, first, or John, the Gospel of John, fills us in with Jesus Christ being there at the beginning. So you have that fellowship, but there's another uh, type of fellowship in that what does God say when he creates man and man's in the garden? What does he say about the man? It is not good for man to be alone, right? And so we also have fellowship. We have the very first community created there in Genesis 2.18, which is what you will see here in in 1 John 1, 5 through 10. Second is we have truth. Genesis two sixteen to 17 gives the whole thing. You can eat of any tree in the garden, but of the tree of uh, life or the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat, right? But then we also have lies, which comes in in Genesis 3 with the fall. So even the idea of cleansing, the atonement can be seen from Genesis. Because what happens right after God condemns man to death? What comes after that? He sends them out of the garden, but what does he do to them? He clothes them, right? And with skin, correct? Skin means something's got to die. So he puts something over them. He, something dies, and he puts something over them. Which is a very interesting point. Take that idea of just clothes and track it through, and you'll notice that every time that major clothes come up, think Joseph, for example, Think the priestly garments in Leviticus. Every time that garments come up, it always has something to do with salvation. And then what's the ultimate show is when Jesus has his garments removed on the cross. 
So you can see all of that, and you see that the same thing here in 1 John. He talks about in the beginning, light and darkness, fellowship, walking in the light, so forth, so forth. But 1 John 2 continues the story. Because notice how he starts, starting here in 1 John chapter 2. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sin, and not for ours only, but also for the sin of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him. If we keep his commandments... Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whosoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Now, just starting with the beginning, he starts with my little children. What's the first thing that happens after the fall? Adam and Eve have... Children, exactly. Adam becomes a father. By the way, happy Father's Day to all you fathers, right? There you go. I knew I was going to tie that in sooner or later. (laughs) So you have children and father. What do you have here in 1 John? You have the little children. And what's the next thing that they call um, in in verse 2 there? Or verse 1, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the father, right? And it's very interesting because the the language of children, the language of father, we're going to see that coming up here in just a little bit. But we also have the idea of propitiation. So Adam and Eve first have Cain and Abel, right? And what 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 are Cain and Abel doing at the very beginning there? You remember the story? Well, before they're fighting, sacrificing. Oh, something's wrong, right? I have to offer sacrifices. So, if something is inherently wrong, they are, offering, they are offering propitiation. That is, they are offering the sacrifices for their sins. And something's going wrong, because what is introduced next in the story of Cain and Abel? Murder, hatred, violence, right? Well, if we continue reading, verse 7. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning... Again, with the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in the darkness. The theme continues on. And it should come as no surprise, because really... Everything from the beginning just keeps repeating itself. Different story, different characters, but it's the same thing. So we see it continue to go. And hatred is something that breaks down community. So if we start with Genesis 4 and work backwards, we can see what everything that God has made gets broken, right? We have Cain and Abel. There's murder. That breaks up fellowship, which God created. It brings in darkness. We have the lies, the deceit of the serpent, Adam and Eve. Breaks that down, right? It all goes backwards. What is John doing, though? John's showing that it goes forward again. Now it's back. And how do we have it back? Are there any questions up to that point? Because Genesis is a very interesting thing that it always repeats itself. It always cycles back through. And 1 John picks up on this more than any other of the epistles. 
all tracking, I hope. All right. So if you turn the page there on your handout. So what's the point? Christ has returned to us the light. In fact, if, if you just did a word search in your, your Bible and you looked up light, about how many times is light going to come up in the Gospel of John? Actually, only five times. Trick question. Now, first, John, how many times does light come up? Ah, nobody wants to answer. Start counting because it's in the first two chapters. There you go. About seven or eight more times. But compared to the rest of the Gospels, compared to Paul, we don't actually see light come up that much. He does say a few things about light, and Paul, that is. But John really picks up on this theme. That's why it's so good to go through the Gospel of John, but don't stop there. Go into 1 John, because he's going to continue that same theme. You're going to see both things. The darkness is still around, and Paul picks up on darkness more than John. That's an interesting. That's why I put Romans there. But those who dwell in the light are protected by the Father as sons and daughters of God. In fact, this is what I mentioned in the sermon. What happens at the very end of the service? What does the pastor do? He blesses us. He put, But more than that, he actually puts God's name on you. From then, you are children of God because he has put God's name on you. The same thing happens in Israel. And if the darkness is still around, and if we're dwelling in the light, as sons and daughters of God, but the darkness is around us, that could cause some problems, right? While we're in the light, we're looking at darkness, and we want to go back to darkness, right? We keep getting torn between darkness and light, darkness, light, darkness, light. And then what is John's exhortation? Stay in the light. But why talk about little children, fathers, and young men? This is the next section, and many people debate this. Because if we keep going down from where we left off here, uh, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in the darkness where we left off. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. What's going on in this song here? Anybody? Why, why do we keep switching around? Oh, silence. So we start off, verse 12 there, little children, right? From there we go to fathers. From there we go back to young men. Then what? Children? But then what again? Fathers. And then back to... So we went from young men to fathers to young men, from uh, children, I'm sorry, children, fathers, young men, children, fathers, young men. He keeps going back. Now, so what is the point about little children? Who, who, Who are the little children? Anybody want to take a shot? Infants in their faith. Infants in their faith? 
who walk like the Lord does. There we go. We're getting there. But notice here, I put a quote for you from Cyril of Alexandria. He wrote, The young men are models of courage. The fathers are models of understanding. And the little children are models of what it means to be children of God. So let's run through this a little bit. People have Bibles? We are all children of God through baptism and our Lord's death and resurrection. And if we just go back just a little bit here in our Bibles to 1 Peter, he's going to mention something that most people have heard. 1 Peter 3.21. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So, through baptism, we become children of God, correct? Everyone should nod their head. There we go. All right. Ooh. So, through baptism, we become children of God. And what is John's main thing? He always talks about little children. So, maybe what is John referring to? Especially earlier on when he says, you have this new commandment, there's something new. What is he talking about? Are they doing baptisms around this time? Yes. Actually, people are starting to believe this was a baptismal homily, that John's speaking this to groups that have been baptized or were about to be baptized or just right after baptism. Take your pick. But if we continue down, little children refers to those whose sins has been forgiven, and this is a good thing. Matthew 18, 1 through 4 if you recall, has the whole story. Remember, Jesus takes a little child, right? Puts him in his lap, or in, his, or in the midst, as the Bible says. And then, what happened? What did the disciples try to do? Shoo him away. And Jesus says, let him stay, because of such are the kingdom of God, right? Now, does that mean that when we all get to heaven that we're going to be little kids, or there's only going to be little kids running around? I mean, what does that mean? Anyone? Right. Exactly. Now, if we go back to Matthew 18, I know I'm going to make you jump around a little bit. If we go back to Matthew 18, and starting from the beginning, at that, at that time the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn, turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Remember, John talks a lot about community, right? First John, that is. And in community, does it work when two people keep trying to trump each other? So, what does Jesus talk about humility? Becoming like a child. You can't all, not everybody can clamor to the top. Not everybody can try to be the greatest. And this is what he's teaching the apostles. Continuing on, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it would be be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. So what does it mean to be a little child? I think I heard it. Right. A follower. Somebody who follows Christ. Somebody who's humbled themselves 
and come under Christ. So when John refers to the little children, he's referring to those who have come into faith, right? Little children is also an endearing term. If we take from Matthew as well, if we step back to chapter 11, 25 to 30. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to the little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Notice he starts off there with children, not the wise and understanding, but he starts off with children. This is, again, this is a good thing to be called a little child. Nowadays, we might find that to be offensive. So going back to 1 John, we started with little children, and what, what, what does he say about the little children in verse 12 there? Why is he writing to them? Your sins are forgiven. That's the basics, right? You're a little child, your sins are forgiven. Then the next thing, I'm writing to your fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. Fathers are those who have known him from the beginning. This is because we see those who are in contrast to John's account of Nicodemus. Remember the story of Nicodemus? Jesus and him are in dialogue, right? And he's talking about the Holy Spirit. says the Spirit blows where he wishes, right? And then Nicodemus asks Jesus, what does this mean and what does Jesus respond? You have to be born again. And Nicodemus still doesn't get it. And then what does Jesus say to him at the very end? Are you a teacher of Israel and you do not know these things? He's a wise guy, right? He's a teacher and he doesn't know what these things are. But here we have fathers who have known these things from the beginning. These are the teachers of the church. These are the teachers of Israel that are the true Israel. The fathers are those who have not only understood these things from the beginning, but have come to instruct all the little ones. And next we'll see the youths. Any questions to that end? I was going to say the the trouble with us, those of us who are teachers, often we think we know. Well, that's true. Sometimes we think we know know what, yeah, that works. But the youths, or the young men, the youths are those who are growing in faith. And at some point we are all youths because we're always growing in faith, right? You can see these growing pains as we struggle against the world in the account of the rich young man. Remember this account? The rich young man comes to Jesus. What does Jesus say to him? You've got to give up everything. Remember the rich young man says, hey, I've kept all the law. What do I still got to do? And Jesus says, give up everything and follow me. What does the rich young man do? Goes away sad, but does it say that he, what, what else does it say? It doesn't say whether he does or not. It doesn't say anything more, right? Interesting, the only person with such details of the account is the Gospel of Mark. Gospel of Mark was probably written by that rich young man. That was probably Mark, is what most people believe. If that's the case, then remember Mark is the young guy and he's struggling. What is he struggling with? 
Okay, becoming a believer. What's that? Right. Having the faith to give up what he has and follow Christ, right? And so here we also see, I am writing to you young men because you have overcome the evil one. And then if we correspond that to the last one, I write to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. Everybody has seen this as the struggle against the world and to which point a lot of us are still struggling. We still have our issues. We still have our petty things that we have to get uh, taken care of, right? But notice that John says you are strong and how are you strong? In the word of God, right? This isn't something that, um, that comes on you, but it's because the word of God abides in you. And how does one get the word of God? By hearing. And especially in the, in the day that First John's being written, how are these people getting the word of God? Baptism, but what happens all around the baptism service? The pastor's speaking, right? All the, he's speaking scripture. And after the baptism, what's going to happen? Because back then, you never separated baptism and the Eucharist, so you went straight to the Eucharist, right? You kept receiving the gifts. It was like, boom, boom, boom. You kept going straight down the line in the Eucharistic service in the ancient days. And so, from the young child being baptized, perfect example right there. Yeah, you want me to talk about you, right? Yeah, look at that smile. So, you start there, and you grow up, right? And as you grow up, you struggle, I'm sorry, you're going to struggle a little bit. Yeah, I know. So you're going to struggle a little bit, and then you're going to grow up, and then what's going to happen? Yeah, you're going to struggle some more. Carol's right. (laughs) You're going to struggle some more. But now that you have been through so much struggling, Carol, now we're... (laughs) Just Carol, nobody... No. Um, (laughs) So now what are you in a position, though? to maybe share that same wisdom with others, right? And so this is how Christian community works. Because, of course, when we, if we take it back to round it out to Genesis again, Adam and Eve go through some bad experiences, right? They, you know, the whole fall thing wasn't a good thing for humanity. Then they come that back and they have kids. And they've obviously taught Cain and Abel about sacrifice somewhere down the road and offering back to God... And yet it seems like one listens and the other does not. The other interesting thing about Cain and Abel, which, if you remember your story, who is the youngest and who is the oldest? Cain's the oldest, and what does Cain do? What's that? He missed the point. The younger one got it. And that's actually, you can take that and look through that Um, In the scriptures, you see that. For example, David, he's the youngest of all the sons, right? And yet he's lifted up. It's always the youngest one. I, you know, that's it. It's always the youngest child. I see a question. I thought I saw a hand go up. Okay. So it's always about the little children, the little children growing up. And then once the, the age of maturity has taken over, then you can offer some direction to people. But it also happens spiritually because some people um, age differently, spiritually speaking, than others. Um, And this this is a point that's not missed even by Jesus, right? 
In fact, if you run through the Gospels, most of the time you can see Jesus frustrated. It's almost as if Jesus tells them something, and then the next thing he's like, you don't get it. I can't help you. And he keeps going, and he keeps going. And it's almost, I like to call it, especially Matthew, I like to call it the Napoleon Dynamite Gospel, because he's always like, oh, you don't get it. He does. Look at it. Every time the disciples come back, you know, or, for example, take the idea of, uh, remember the story of Jesus saying it's time for a sword to come, and then what does Peter do? He opens up his coat and says, hey, i got swords right here. And Jesus is like, that's enough. You're done. Stop. Stop while you're ahead. Right? So even the disciples don't grow very quickly, and they struggle with these ideas, right? Because once they get to the idea that, hey, Jesus, you're going to die, what do they do in the Garden of Gethsemane? They all fall asleep. And Jesus says, get back up. And they say, they get back, and then they fall asleep again, right? So, even the disciples grow. In case in point, moving on down, I don't have a big enough stand. Man. So, in the midst of our struggles, we hear the words of John You have overcome evil, and you are strong because the word of God dwells in you. So if we go back, this knowledge is strength from the word of God. Of course, John 1.1 talks about the word of God. And also this word as being propitiation. But remember, the struggles that we go on are also talked about in St. Paul. He talks about our spiritual journey here on earth in terms of age. Remember, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready. And even now you are not ready. That's 1 Corinthians 3.2. And then he does it again in Hebrews. If you take Paul to be the author of Hebrews, you can debate about that another day. But for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. Of course, infants have milk, right? So they always talk about this as a growing thing, as a spirituality as growing. And John does the same thing. So, and as I said, the spiritual maturity we see with the disciples. So after the resurrection, they're all hiding out, right? All these disciples are hiding out behind locked doors. And then by the time Acts comes around in the ascension, what happens right after the ascension? What does Peter do? Yeah, Peter, the guy who had both swords and says, hey, I got swords. What does he do then? Yeah, Pentecost. He gets up and then he starts to instruct people. He now gets it, right? And that's the thing. He struggled all that time. He gets beat up. He gets called Satan. Jesus calls him Satan and tells him, get behind him. It's not so good for Peter for a little while. But then soon he grows up and he learns and he teaches, correct? Right. Right. And but at the same time, their their three year journey with Jesus there and the gospels is a lot like kind of like a seminary. They learn, they don't get it, they learn from the mistakes, they keep going, they keep learning, and then finally, yes, when the Holy Spirit comes, good that you mention the Holy Spirit, because in our ordination services, what happens? Lay on our hands, but who are we calling down at that same time? Imagine that. And then when the Holy Spirit does come, 
on Pentecost, Peter gets it, right? He does stand up and he does speak. The, the spiritual maturity also came coinciding with the coming of the Holy Spirit, right? Any questions? Doing good? Okay, this is easy. There you go. So, now, with the, now going back to the fathers. So notice he only says one thing each time in verse 13 and 14. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. Verse 14, I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. In other words, I don't have anything else to say to you, right? You know these things. These things come naturally to you. These are easy things. These are the things of the church. These are the teachers of the church. But if we kept going on, in verse 15 we see, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride and possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Remember me talking about struggles with the youths and the rich young man. And then look, what comes right afterwards? Just struggles with the world, with possessions, the things that are in the world. So these things continue on, but there's always the encouragement. There's always struggle against these things, always struggle against these things. And that struggle can be hard. And you see it, you see the whole language from the very first uh, verse all the way through. You see words like stumbling, the darkness. You see all these things that do come into life, that come into contact. But then what is still, what is John's exhortation even, even with all these struggles coming? Still walking the light. Going back again to um, the idea of struggling and walking, this is the same thing that Jesus gives his disciples. Keep following the light, keep following me, keep doing these things. And at the very end, what is finally his last exhortation, the end of Matthew? In fact, you're not going to stop ever. You're going to go make disciples of all nations. You will baptize them and you will teach them. Correct? So these struggles never end, but the light is always with us. And that gets to the idea that he, would, he began with in chapter 2. That if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. Notice that's in the plural. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. So if you go through John, he keeps bringing you back to the circle, but he always brings you back to this verse. Yes, you've struggled. Yes, you're having these issues. But if we continue down, we notice that it's always marked by Jesus Christ's propitiation for our sins, which is the basis of faith, right? Any questions? Still going? Too quiet. This isn't good. <laughs> so, but the, this hymn here, this hymn from two to four, uh, tw- I'm sorry, twelve to fourteen, um, is very interesting that we don't speak like this anymore. The idea of little children, fathers, and youth. And yet, we see it inherently in everything that we do, in people's growing faith. Now, in regards to the new commandment, 
just right before all this, now that we've talked about growing in the faith and the like, notice in verse 7 he started, Beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment. So he says, I'm not writing you a new commandment, but an old commandment. And then in 8 he says, at the same time it is a new commandment. So what does he mean? Does he know what he's talking about? I said, there's no new commandment, but it is a new commandment. Wait a minute. How does that work? You can do the cyclic thing. <laughs> the cyclic thing. Well, yes. So, is it a new commandment or is it a new reality? Okay, but it says commandment. So now I'm struggling. Now I'm going to play devil's advocate a little bit here. So now I'm struggling with the idea of commandment. What does commandment mean? Do. Okay, simple. Reinforce. So the old commandment, what is the old commandment that you have from the beginning? Yeah, it's pretty much summed up in that, correct? The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So take it back to what happened in the, in the beginning, back to creation, right? We destroyed community. We destroyed fellowship. And the ultimate case in point, again, is the story of Cain and Abel. You can't hate your brother. But what's the new commandment? What's this new life about? Loving each other. Living in fellowship, right? Living as a community. Living as a family. And that's another thing. This is why Cain and Abel is so important, because they're family. It's not just that they killed each other, but they're also family. Which, that kind of takes everything to another level. So, the walking, and, the walking in the light and walking in darkness. But notice that he cleverly talks about it in the idea of blinded in the eyes. Because in the ancient world, everything that came through the eye filled the body, right? And you get this a little bit in John. If the eye sees light, the whole body is filled with light. If the eye does not see light, it's filled with darkness, right? It's interesting that John always talks about senses. Maybe this is why a lot of us can get John easily, right? Because it's all about light. It's about feeling. It's about tangible things that we can touch, feel, smell, hear, right? So he mentions eyes. And if we go back down to not loving the world, or do not love the world, in verse 15, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world... The love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires, again, of the eyes and pride and possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. So you get a lot going on in a small package there. With, that, with not loving the world or the things in the world, notice... Again, he starts with the desires of the flesh. These are things that we can understand, we can see, we can feel, we can touch, 
the things that we desire, right? And then with the eye, again, whatever fills the eye fills the body. And then pride, and pride is not necessarily something that I can reach out and touch, but it's something I can possess, right? It's mental. It's something that we think. In other words, your whole being should not be coveting after the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. And I had somebody ask me about this when I did this study earlier this year. Um, I do a men's Bible study, and I've already done First John, so there you go. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but does it look like the world's passing away around us? Uh, yeah, we haven't got a whole lot of rain outside. Maybe that, that's a good sign, but is the world, it doesn't look like it's passing away, right? Hey, they're putting up new buildings down the street. Things seem to be going just fine. Do the desires of the world seem to be passing away? hope not, because it seems like every time you turn on the TV that you see more desires of the world, right? So what does it mean that the world is passing away along with its desires? We should see a downgrade then, right? But we don't. How so? Right. So... That, that, would be the, that would definitely be the second part, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. But how it's not very convincing. I mean, if, I, if I'm just out in the world, it's not very convincing to me that the world's passing away because I see the world progressing, right? Just because it's progressing doesn't mean it's eternal. You know? Oh, there we go. Yeah. It's always about the eternal with John. John's always about the eternal. He's always about the end goal. And I'm <laughs> saying this in preparation for next week uh, Pastor Bruzik might be in next week is what it looks like. Um, so we'll see where he goes. But the next part, if we just take a sneak peek and for next week, children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. Oh boy, end of the world time, right? For John, it's always... John doesn't think in a linear time frame like we do. John thinks about the whole picture. He sees the beginning... As we've noted with our verses in Genesis, he sees his present time and age, and he's also looking to the future. He does it all at the same time. And it's very important to see all three of these things happening. Because was Christ sacrificed just for one point in time? Right. It was for the whole world, right? All right, any questions here? Yeah. comment about the word progress and what progress in what direction. Right. Well, now looks like right. But uh, passing away could be happening without us knowing. Yes, the passing away could be happening with happening without us knowing. That is true. Each passing day brings us closer to the end time. That is true. Or are we already in the end time? That's Jesus' point. It's already here. It's now. We don't know exactly when it will be but you're already living in it. That's what Jesus says. Kind of a, that's kind of a, you've got to wrap your head around that one a little bit. All good? All right. I'm going to let you out about five minutes early here so I can make sure I can set up for next service. But if you have any questions, let me know.
Uh, as I said, next week, we're, uh, Pastor Bruzik said he might be in, he might not, so we'll see how that's going to work. I got an email from him this week. If not, I'll be back, and we'll continue on uh, with 1 John chapter 2. Let us pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Thank you, Thank you all.